anyway, good to be with you this morning. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being with us, and um, I'm excited to be able to share this, uh, continue in this series, the Essential Series we have this week, and we'll have one more uh, Sunday next, uh, next Sunday as we wrap it up. And uh, again, this series is really a series that I put together really as, a, uh, it, it, as your pastor, four major essential components are four essential things in life that I want to leave you with that I think are incredibly significant, foundational, fundamental, essential in your walk and your journey with Jesus. If I had to summarize what I want you to remember, what I want you to take with you, these are the things. And uh, we talked about the first one, learning. It sounds a little, sounded a little odd, right? But learning to live in the now. And so really what we're talking about there is the idea of learning to cultivate a lifestyle of, of prayer. Where we learn to walk shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand with God throughout the day. We learn to see Him in the midst of our day. So much of our days in life is we miss God because we're not looking for Him. Because we're too busy with the activities and the events of our day, we seem to think that our daily routines are divorced from God's reality or God's presence. And yet God wants to show up in our lives. God wants to reveal himself to us in our lives on a day-in and day-out basis. He's constantly with us. And an awareness and a reality to that uh, helps us look at life. The reason why it's so important to live in the, learn to live in the now is because we begin to look at life through a different lens when we live that way. When we start to walk with God throughout the day, we start to see with God's eyes. We start to be comforted in places where we need to be comforted. We, we are able to serve and to care for people around us as the Spirit of God makes us aware of those things. Uh, the second thing we talked about, we spent the last two weeks on talking about the importance and the value of the Spirit of God. The importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How important it is to learn to listen and receive from the Spirit. So we talked things about how to build in a, a continual quiet time uh, and learning to be challenged and transformed by the Spirit in our lives, how incredibly important the Spirit is in our own journey. And so, again, there's podcasts for those and also stuff on the internet or on the web uh, through our webpage if you want to watch any of the videos from the past uh, several sermons. This morning, I want to hit the third essential. And the third essential is identity. Identity. And I want to start by talking about the complexity of identity. Understanding our identity is super important because when we understand our identity, it has significant impacts for how we live our lives, how we see our lives on a day-in and day-out basis. Uh, in general, as people, we have an identity awareness problem. We don't really know who we are. We, we get mixed messages a lot of times for who we are. We tend to ascribe our identity to roles or positions that we hold in life. Or it's really the summation of the choices that we've made in life. And we are told that, that this is who you are. The summation of your choices, good or bad, tell us who you are as a person. Or what you do in this world tells, you, tells us who you are as a person. If someone were to ask you, uh, just to make this personal, since I'm the one, I guess, up here speaking this morning, who am I? You know, if somebody were to ask you, who is Darren Johnson? You would likely say something like this. Well, Darren is our pastor. Darren is a husband to Cheryl, and he's a father to four children. You may say some other things. 
about my identity or who I am to you. He likes airplanes, that's right. And he's, he's a coffee snob. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, so... Thank you. But I want you to consider where people choose to find their identity. Like we ascribe identity to the roles that we hold or the responsibilities that we have. You think about other people. Like if you were to think of like Steph Curry. Who is Steph Curry? Well, Steph Curry is an all-star point guard for the Golden State Warriors. Like that's the first thing that you, how you would describe Steph Curry. But that's not truly Steph Curry's identity. That's not who Steph Curry is. Steph Curry is not defined by his role as a basketball player for the Golden State Warriors, as wonderful and as good as he is in that role. We have presidents, current and past presidents, that we define or are defined by the role of being the president of the United States. But the president of the United States is not, his or her identity is not defined by the role that they carry. So Donald Trump and Barack Obama, although the past two current and past presidents of our country, are, their identity is not wrapped up in their role as the most powerful person, essentially, in the free world. You think about other people in business. You think about the C CEOs or authors or business people. Like, we tend to be identified. We identify ourselves by the roles that we have. And so it's true that we hold these roles in this world, but they're not our true identity. They're only descriptors of positions that we have and responsibilities that we have or choices that we've made. Let me give you some evidence for this. Does my true identity as Darren Johnson change if my children were to unfortunately pass away and I was no longer a father? Or if I lost my wife and I was no longer a husband? Or if I quit my job and was no longer a pastor? Would those identifier marks that I just went to and said, pastor, husband, father, if those things went away, would my identity change? No. My identity would not change. And yet this points to the complexity of identity and the identity crisis that we live in. Because then we go, well, then who are we? Like if we're not a, the summation of the choices and the roles that we hold and the decisions that we make, how do we truly know who we are? My identity is still intact in the midst of the changes that occurred in my life throughout the course of the 80, 90, whatever years that I may live, shorter or longer. I don't know how you live past 90 as a man these days, but whatever. Look at these pictures. So the first picture here is ice. Now when you look at ice and you see this, you, you're looking, this is something that you're looking for when you want to cool down your drink, right? Or you want to get help with an injury. Or the way that the restaurant or the business wants to save money on soda. And so they load your glass full of it. And you're like, oh, thank you for giving me like an eighth of a glass of, of drink. So you have ice, right? Look at the next picture. Water. This is what you're looking for when you want something to drink, right? Or you want to get clean. You want to jump 
in a pool of water. You want to take a shower. You want to take a bath, whatever it is, to clean off. Look at this next one, steam. This is what you want to have or to be around if maybe you're dealing with some sinus problems or you have a cold. You want to put a humidifier in your room that's going to create moisture in the air, right? Create some steam. Or in a hot context, going and getting in a sauna, right? So that your muscles are able to relax. So when you look at these three things, ice, water, and steam, they're all three different, all three of them have three different roles. They have three different responsibilities. They have different benefits. But it's still the same molecular structure. It's still H2O. It doesn't change. And so the same is true of us from time to time. You may have different roles. You may have different responsibilities. You may have different uses. You may may make different choices, good or bad. But your identity, friends, never changes. Your molecular structure is still H2O. Well, not really H2O. But for the sake of our, our illustration, it still remains the same. So then, who are you? Who am I? I want to just talk for a minute about the lies that we've just kind of talked about. The lies are that your identity is tied to your role, your title, your success, your failure, etc. I have a friend who is a registered sex offender because of some wrong choices that he made when he was 18 with an underage girl. Since that time, he has received counseling. He's made amends with those that he's wronged. He's found Jesus, and he's actually serving him in full-time ministry today. And yet every year, he has to register as a sex offender for the Megan's Law database. And no matter that he's a completely different person today than he was 20 years ago, he's still labeled as a sex offender. That's how the world defines him. And I'm not dissing that we should have a Megan's Lost Sex Offender database. It's a good thing. But in some ways, the way that our system is set up, it places identity and value on certain people when people do change. People can change. The reality for this friend of mine is that his identity, even though the law or the state sees him this way, is not the choices that he's made, but his identity is given to him by the person who made him. That is his identity. And so who does God say that I am? Well, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Right? See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are, friends, deeply beloved, lavishly loved children of God. What does this really mean? Well, you're deeply beloved. Think about this phrase. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that you can do or not do that will remove God's 
love for you. God sees you and loves you unconditional to your experience or your choices. God sees and loves people this planet-wide who have made horrific choices and have destroyed human life with the same eyes of love that he sees you. Sometimes that's hard for us to understand, but it's true. Think of a parent's love for a child. If you're a parent, you likely love your child with unconditional love. You may not always like their choices. They may actually get punished for their choices and their behavior. They may frustrate you to no end a lot of times. Sounds a lot like the way God felt about the people of Israel in the Old Testament. But our love for our children remains constant, regardless of the choices that they make. A lavish love is a love that's poured out generously and overwhelmingly. I love this phrase, right? A lavished love is irrational. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit the parameters of what's normal. What's expected? What's deserved? It's irrational. Being deeply beloved means that we're loved continually regardless of action. I think of a great story in the scriptures that Jesus told that illustrates this. is the parable of the prodigal son. God loved in the story, the, the, the father loved the son enough to release half of his inheritance to his son and let him go and blow his life away. He loved him enough to honor his request. Dad, give me my share of the estate. He didn't withhold it. He didn't say no. How dare you ask for such a question? He loved him enough to honor his choice and let him make his decision. And then he just wound up sleeping with the pigs, right? But he also loved him enough to every single stinking day be looking out the window of his house, watching for his son to come home. And as he sees him come over the crest of a hill, the father bolts out of the door and runs to the son and embraces him and won't even let the son apologize for what he did. He is overwhelmed with irrational, uncontrollable, unconditional love for his son. Even though his son dishonored him, that was irrelevant to the father. It was minimized based on the extravagant, irrational, deep love that God had for his son. And so friends, we are deeply beloved. We are lavishly loved. The narrative that says that God withholds love for people from people who do wrong things or make bad choices or flip God off or do whatever they want to do. Was that really a sign for flip God off? Is actually really using the finger. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> I thought I saw that out of the corner of my eye. 
All right, thanks. Oh, man, I'm, I get lost, lost my train of thought there on that. That was okay. Um, so regard, <laughs> regardless of what we do, right, we are deeply beloved. And, it, and it, it's unconditional, it's extravagant, it's irrational. And this is how God sees us, all of us. And so the, the image that's out there today that God is a God who places conditions, God is a God who has a checklist, God who is wanting you to achieve certain things and he will withhold his blessing or love from you unless you do certain things the right way is erroneous in God's economy. Of course, we may experience different consequences and issues and challenges in life based on our choices. We are not exempt from personal choices and our own free will and the consequences for making bad choices. But none of that, as it is with our children, impacts the nature of our love or how much we're loved by our Father. And so we're deeply beloved, lavishly loved, and we're also a child of God. We're children of God. I want you to, this is all flows real nicely because it's it's the Bible, right? So the Bible flows nicely, you know. See what great love God, the Father's lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are, exclamation point. Awesome, that's a great truth. Let's move on to the next verse. But consider the implications of being called a child of God. Consider this, that being a child of someone implies some aspect of DNA transfer. Some aspect of image-bearing likeness. Cheryl and I have four children. They're all very different from each other. But they all have within them, whether personality or physical appearances or things like that, you can look at our children and say they are a product of Darren and Cheryl. They contain within them not only the DNA, however that all works, but they contain different aspects of personality that are true to either mom or dad or a combination of both. And so child, being a child implies image. God is our father. Consider that. It helps us understand that we were created in the image and likeness of God, which means that we were created to look and to live more like God. God has given us the DNA to actually live and look more like Him, empowered by the Spirit of God to bring it into fruition in our lives. In many ways, we have a dormant DNA living in us that is not tapped into because we don't fully allow the Spirit of God to generate that source of power and life in us. But it is inherent to who we are as people. We've been created in God's image. We are a child of God. A child also has full rights and full inheritances, right? And so the child has access to the father and lives in the companionship of the father. The image that I get in my mind is, think of a really powerful and important person. You know, and think about that person being able to They're busy with meetings all day long, and they're running across the country and doing this or that, or jumping on a plane to do They're very valuable and important in the world's eyes because of the role that they hold. And yet that child to that father or that mother that's in that position or that place knows 
that any time you ever need access to mom or dad, you pick up the phone and they're there. doesn't matter if they're in the middle of a meeting, if they're on a plane, if they're sleeping. You have immediate access. Not a whole lot of people have immediate access to really, really important, powerful people. But we have an immediate access to God. He is our Father. We're on His caller ID, right? And so we are a child of God, created to look more like God, to live more like God, that has full access to God's love and His benefits and all of the rights that come with that. You see, this is our identity, friends. Our identity is that we are deeply beloved children of God. That is who you are. That is who you are. And it not only changes the way we see ourselves, but how we live our lives. And what's interesting is that this is how God looks at the world. You are special and unique in and of, even of yourself and who you are in God's eyes. But so are the rest of the other, what is it, six billion people that live on this planet that have the same value and concern and care from God. The same rights and inheritance. Unfortunately, it's just that a lot of people don't know that. They're not living under the lordship of their father, their true father. They're living to please themselves, right? Living under the authority of my own life, my own desires, and thereby living in destruction and death. And so we are deeply beloved children of God. And so what does it look like to live as a deeply beloved child of God? What does it mean to live from a place of our true identity? I'd like to look at this in terms of what does it mean to live in our truest self? Who we really are. What does it mean to live in that place? You see, when I understand that I'm a deeply beloved child of God, it frees me from living in the false self, which I'll talk about in just a moment. It frees me to live as a loved and cherished child of God. It allows me to freely live in a way that models God's love towards me, towards other people. Conditions are broken down. Barriers are removed. We are able to live from a place of not only receiving God's acceptance, but we're able to give and to grant that acceptance towards other people. Practically speaking, understanding our identity and living from that identity results in us living lives more modeling the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A life that is living in the truest self as a beloved child of God will be released and more free to live and operate, empowered by the Spirit of God to resemble God's life, which is summarized in the fruits of the Spirit. This is how God wants us to live. Foundational to this is living in a place of love, which we're going to get to next week. And so living in our true self allows us to live freely in love towards others, regardless of anything they do, just like God does. 
We're able to be free and to live without being controlled externally by things around us. So conversely, what does it look like to live in the false self? This might be more easily recognizable because we don't often live in the truest self very much. We live more in the world of our false selves. We live predominantly in a world and we live a life that's opposite of the fruits of the Spirit in so many different ways. We live lives that are driven by trying to define significance and value and identity in anything else other than being a beloved child of God. As an example, how often are you controlled or impacted negatively by other people's opinions of you? That kind of hits the spot, doesn't it? We find, as much as we hate it, when we operate in the false self, we find significance in what others think about us, what our job is, what they feel about us. Unfortunately, living in this way leads to experiencing destruction because it's never going to satisfy and we're always going to be disappointed by how other people see us. And so we can live lives that are controlled by other people's expectations for us. I, I've been praying through a prayer list, and I want to share it with you this morning, that relates to areas where I've determined or I've been able to see clearly where I am daily challenged or struggling with living according to the false self in my own life. Not living into my true identity as a beloved, deeply beloved child of God. I'm asking God, and go, look at this list here. I think I've shared this before, but I'm asking God to give me interior freedom over these things. This is something I pray almost daily. God, give me interior freedom over the need to maintain control in my life. Give me interior freedom over the need to be right, the need to be respected, the need for comfort, the need to be liked. You see, I wrote these things down, and I keep, and keep these up there, Rosie, if you wouldn't mind. I these became a part of my prayer because I recognize that my life is oriented many times around these values, the, the opposite of these values, or no, these values, that I need to maintain control. I want to be in control of the circumstances and situations of my life, which means that I have a hard time submitting to God in different areas and letting Him lead and be in control. Or I don't want other people to control me, which is selfish. Okay, let's just be honest. That's where I struggle. I struggle with the need to be right. I want to be right. I want other people to see me as competent. I want to have the right answers. I want to feel like I'm in control. I have power. False self value. That I need to be respected. My value is based on how well I'm respected as a pastor. What people think about me. How well I lead, how well I don't, or how, yeah, how well I lead or how well I don't lead, right? If I do this right or if I do that right, I want to be respected. The need for comfort in my life. I find myself gravitating towards what's more comfortable. I want to be more comfortable. I want things to be a little safer for me in different places. And then the last one, I think I reflected on that with respected, but they need to be liked. I want people to like me. I'm praying for these things because I recognize that when I'm living from the false self, these are driving the way that I respond to the world. 
They're driving the way that I approach my relationships. And if I recognize or if I begin to live into the true self of being a deeply beloved child of God, I can let these things go. I can be free from the need to maintain control because there's only one person in control and that's God. And I can be okay with other people being in authority and control over me because it's not about me. That's where God wants me to live. He wants me to live in an awareness of that. He wants me to live in a humility and a place to recognize that I don't need to be right. Actually, there's great benefit in being wrong and being humbled because it shows me your, God says it shows me your deep dependency on me, that you don't have all the answers. The need to be respected. Jesus says, okay, got that, Darren. I wasn't very well respected when I was dragged half naked through the streets of Jerusalem and whipped and beat. Right? Jesus wasn't respected, yet it didn't change his identity. The need for comfort, the need to be liked, the the list goes on and on there. God wants us to experience freedom. And when I'm living in my true self as a deeply beloved child of God, I don't need to be in control. Or right, or respected, or liked. Because my identity is not found in how other people see me, or my need to be in charge of my life. And, it's an important caveat, this isn't something I get angry about. My propensity can be when I do this sort of stuff is to say, okay, I'm not going to be in control or be right or be respected because I don't need you, right? Which still comes from a place, right? Do you ever experience that? Like our adverse reaction to living in the false self can kind of show that we really are still controlled by it because our response is not love. Or detachment in a healthy way. It's more focused on trying to will ourselves to not be these things. And then being angry because other people want to maintain control over us. I can live in freedom as God's child to be who I am and to trust God in that place. And friends, that's what God wants for us as his people. He wants us to live in a place of our own true identity as he gives us that identity. As we're seen by him. Deeply beloved children of God. And when we are fully able to accept that and to live within that, we are released to serve and to, and to respond in love the way God does. And so I would encourage you to think, as you think about your identity as a deeply beloved child of God, I would encourage you, because you all, we all have different lists, right? But what are the ways, what are the ways that you struggle with um, I use that terminology, the false self. What are the things that really get under your skin? What are the things where you, you find yourself looking for value in certain things or certain people? I don't know what that list is for you. I've shared very candidly my list. This is what I work, I'm working through. Maybe you have some similarities to this. Maybe there's completely different. I would encourage you to take time to Make note of that. Write that journal about it. Write it down. Where are the places, maybe just the way to look at it is, where are the places that you want God to give you interior freedom? Where do you want to be free? You, want to be, you don't want to be controlled by this emotion or this, this stress or this anxiety or this need for something that's not of God, that you know shows up. So kind of do that assessment. And then ask God. 
Ask God to give you freedom in those areas. Acknowledge before him that you recognize that, yes, I am a deeply beloved child of God. Unconditionally, extravagantly, irrationally loved. Jesus, I ask that you would help us with this, that you would continue to, by your spirit, you would continue to lead us and guide us in embracing our identity as these deeply beloved children that that we are. And would you help us to move beyond living in ways where we find our success or our significance or identity wrapped up in the things that we do or don't do and the roles we hold or don't hold. Would you help us to live in places where we can walk in freedom as a child of you with your DNA imprinted in us that we might be able to reflect who you are in the lives of other people without needing to be recognized, without needing to be right, without needing to get the praise or the accolades from other people, but just to be rooted and centered in you and to live and to operate from that place, knowing that we have everything that we need in you. We need your help this way because we live in a world that pulls us in so many different ways and gives us so many different impressions or teaches us so many different uh, ideas about this. Tries to help us find our significance in other things. We need your help, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.